So deny yourself. Those were the words of Jesus. And sometimes we think of denying ourselves as something simple like, at today's Super Bowl party, you only eat 12 wings instead of 18 wings. And so maybe that's the way you think about like, oh, I'm denying myself. I'm, I'm really suffering for Jesus here because I'm cutting back. But I think Jesus meant something more than that when he talked about denying himself. So we're going to be looking at this story from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And so Jesus setting up this, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has gone about preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been talking about God's rule through his people. And that was God's plan from the beginning, was that God would rule through his servant kings. But people, supposed to be his servant kings, chose their own way. They chose to rule themselves instead of ruling under God. And so now God has sent Jesus to establish his rule and his reign to bring the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has gone about and he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons and he's been traveling around doing all these things. And in chapter 8, we find him in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is kind of the far north regions of where the Jews lived in Palestine. It's way north of the Sea of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi was this town and there was a, a temple there dedicated to Caesar. And so Jesus has come to this place and he's teaching his disciples. And he turns to his disciples, these 12 that have been following him, and he says, who do people say I am? It's a question. He's wondering, what, what are people saying? What are people talking about? Who are people saying I am? And the, the disciples reply, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. And I think that's a good question for us to ask even. As we think, who do people say Jesus is? If you were to go out, go to the store, go to your workplace, go to the schools, just stop people on the street and say, who do you say Jesus is? What do you think of Jesus? What sort of answers do you think people might give? There are some who would maybe say, well, he was a really good teacher. Some might tell you he's the son of God. Some might tell you he's simply a story that some people believe. So lots of different ideas, lots of different thoughts about who he is. And then Jesus turns to his followers and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, well, you're the Messiah. And Messiah was simply the word that meant the anointed one, the king. And so in this version of the story, we don't know how Peter figured this out because the Jews had this picture of a Messiah who would be this great king. And really up to this point, Jesus hadn't done anything to make people think he was the king. He had healed some people, he had done some teaching, he cast out demons, but he wasn't doing what the people expected. There was no battles against Rome, there was no talk of him going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. In fact, most of the time, Jesus was telling people not to tell anyone who he was. Peter says, you are the Messiah. So how he figured this out, we don't know. Now, if we were to turn to some of the other gospel stories, like the gospel of Matthew, it says that the Spirit revealed it to, Matthew, to uh, Peter. And we think, well, why didn't Mark tell us this? It's, it's how the stories in the Bible work. Is that they all have different perspectives. It doesn't make one less true, but sometimes they tell different parts of the story. Because they're trying to make a point. It's... For example, if I go out to lunch with my friend Jamie, 
and I tell you what happened at the lunch, and I say, well, we went to the Indochina Gardens, and Jamie bought me some lunch. And then you ask Jamie what happened. He said, well, we went out for lunch, and I had the cashew chicken, and Carl had the General Tso's chicken, and we saw Ron and Sharon there. That was one story less true than the other? No. They're just simply telling different parts. Jamie and I are telling different parts of the story because we want to emphasize different things that happened. And so as Mark tells the story here, he doesn't tell us that part of the story because he's trying to make a point. And so Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus says, don't tell anyone. You're almost thinking, well, gee, why are you asking me who you think I am if you don't want me to tell anybody? Because we've just told you, here's this strange thing, the disciples have just said, here's what all these other people are saying. And then Peter has a different answer. And Jesus says, well, don't tell anyone. Now, I would think that Jesus would say, yeah, that's the right answer. You need to go and fix all those other people out there. You need to go and tell them they're all wrong. But Jesus doesn't. He says, don't tell anyone. It says, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And so this is a kind of a pattern. This happens a couple more times in the Gospel of Mark where there's this same sort of story where there's a conversation about who Jesus is, then Jesus teaches them about discipleship. And so Jesus is explaining to this. He's saying, teach them that the Son of Man, and this is, if you want to study more, um, I encourage you to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and there's this incredible picture of God in this final time, and, and the Son of Man is this divine figure who sits on the throne. And so here he is, he's saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, if you go back to the book of Daniel, it doesn't talk a whole lot about suffering. It talks about other things. But Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer. He's going to be rejected. They're going to be, he's going to be killed and then rise again. And then, what does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him. This is kind of funny to me, because here's Peter. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the leader of the group. And he's teaching them. And Peter says, well, wait a minute, Jesus, you're getting it all wrong here. Now imagine you're the teacher in a classroom. And you're teaching your students about something. And after class, one of the teachers says, come here, Mr. Franzen, that's just not right. You're getting it all wrong. And this is what happens. Peter comes and says, Jesus, no, 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 no. We don't know exactly what Peter said to him, but my guess is that Peter was telling him, that's not how the Messiah works. I just said you're the Messiah, and I know what a Messiah is supposed to do. And Messiahs aren't supposed to die. And then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Never a good thing when somebody calls you Satan. And so I'm guessing the other disciples are looking, thinking, yeah, there's Peter. And they're thinking, glad it wasn't me. I was thinking the same thing, but I'm glad I kept my mouth shut. Get behind me, Satan. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, you're thinking the wrong way about things. You're thinking about things from a human perspective. And the human perspective says that what does a king do? 
How does a king establish his rule and reign? A king establishes his rule and reign by coming in with armies, by coming in and conquering, by coming in and defeating. But God has a different way of doing things. God is going to establish his kingdom in a whole different way. See, the sermon series we're doing now is called The Kingdom and the Cross. And part of the idea behind the series is to see the way that those two ideas are tied together. It's not as if Jesus came and all of a sudden things weren't going so well. He said, well, we're going to go to plan B. But all along those two ideas that Jesus establishing the kingdom and Jesus dying on the cross are connected. Because dying on the cross is the way he brings the kingdom. Jesus' death on a cross, and we're going to be talking about this over the next coming weeks, Jesus' death on the cross is his enthronement. Jesus hanging on a cross is the way that Jesus became, becomes king. And so we've been going through, and just kind of a preview, in a few weeks we're going to enter into the season of Lent, which is the six Sundays leading up to Easter, and so on, what's it going to be, February 21st, um, two weeks from today will be the first Sunday in Lent, and we're going to be go continuing through the um, Gospel of Mark, but we're going to slow things down a whole bunch. We've been kind of moving rather quickly through the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to take those six weeks of Lent and just spend them on the last week of Jesus' life. Because around about Mark chapter 11 begins the last week, so the last six chapters of Mark are just cover one week of his life. And so we're going to slow down over those six weeks and kind of spend time, because oftentimes we do it, we get to Palm Sunday, and then there's Easter the next week. And there's a whole lot that goes on, so we're going to slow down a little bit. But it's all about Jesus becoming king. So back here. So Jesus says to Peter, you're getting it wrong, Peter. You're thinking with a human mind, I need you to think the way that God thinks. So then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. So he takes not only the 12, but he takes other people. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple. He doesn't say, if you want to be a really good disciple. He doesn't say, if you want some extra credit. If you want to be at the top of the class, he says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And so he begins to talk about this idea of denying self and taking up the cross. And sometimes, over the years, we've kind of toned down what it means to bear your cross, to deny yourself. At times, people will talk about it, and they'll talk about maybe that annoying in-law of theirs. And they'll say something like, yeah, that's my cross to bear. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about this. When he's talking about taking up a cross, the cross was the way that the Roman Empire imposed their power over people. The cross was a means of execution, but it was a public execution. The Romans would take the worst of the criminals, those typically reserving this punishment for those who had rebelled against the power of Rome, and when they would take them and hang them on the cross, a bloody, painful way to die, but also very public. They wouldn't take them to a back room. They wouldn't take them off somewhere and execute them and, let the, and make an announcement the next day. 
No, they would hang them on a cross along the roads, at the gates of the city, somewhere where everyone could see what had happened. And be reminded, you go against Rome, that's what happens to you. And so when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross, he's saying, I want you to give up. And so again, this idea of denying yourself. And sometimes we think denying yourself is, we just deny, well, I really want to do that thing, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. We're getting ready to, we're looking in the mirror and thinking, well, my, I put on a few extra pounds. And then somebody brings over some cookies and you're saying, no, no. And you think of yourself, I'm denying myself. Denying myself the pleasure of those good cookies right there. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, he's linking this idea of denying himself to taking up the cross. He's saying this isn't just about denying ourselves something good that we want. It's just not avoiding something. And there are, have been times in Christian history where people have taken it to that extreme where they think what it means to follow Jesus is to deny all pleasures in life. There are stories of Christian mystics, of monks, of these men and women called the Desert Fathers and Mothers who would, in the early days of the church, move out to the desert. And some of them, in a quest to deny themselves, to follow this regimen of saying, I don't want to experience any good pleasure, would do some really crazy things. There were some that would sit up on a pole. I mean, like, get a pole literally for months on end be on this pole. Some when they would experience things, they would experience these feelings of pleasure, whatever, like, oh, I can't feel pleasure. So they, they wore shirts made of camel hair and rough things. They would, one of them rolled in brambles to make sure that he wasn't having any impure thoughts. But the idea was like, oh, well, I can't have any pureness. And so it was a way to deny themselves. And Jesus, I don't think, was talking about that. Jesus was talking about the saying, he's saying, what matters is me. Because he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those two things are connected. Denying yourselves and following him are connected. They're not separate things. It's like, oh, if you want to be my disciple, then just deny yourself. No, he's saying there's a connection between denying yourself and following him. And the connection is that what Jesus is saying is we're giving up the right to our own life. It's a way of saying, I'm giving my life completely over to Jesus. All these other things, all these concerns of the world no longer matter, but what matters most and what alone matters is Jesus. And so what Jesus is getting at here is exactly that. He's saying that's what it means to be his disciple. That's what it means to follow him is to say my life, my everything belongs to you. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for one to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so he's saying this is what the call of being a follower of Jesus is. To set aside all those other things and to give them all to Jesus. Now does that mean that we can't enjoy the things of life. No, that's not at all what Jesus is getting at here. But what he's saying is that what matters most, what matters most is him. 
And so Jesus is getting at this idea here where he's going through this thing. That's what it means for him to be king. And where Peter had gotten it wrong was he had a picture of Messiah and he was wrong about what the picture of Messiah was. He thought Messiah meant one thing and so that he was living into it. And Jesus wanted him to get it right. And so what Jesus is teaching us here is he's saying, if you want to call me Savior, if you want to call me Lord, this is what it looks like. It's not enough to just get the name right. So if we go back to the thing and say, who do you say I am? And Jesus were to ask us today, well, who do you say I am? He would say, well, you're Savior, you're Lord. But then we were to say, but when it comes to some of these things, I'm going to choose my own way. But I really don't want to sacrifice a whole lot to follow you. Then Jesus might say to us, get behind me. Because what he wants us to understand is to call him Messiah, to call him Savior, to call him Lord, has meaning, has implication. And what it means is to be willing to give our lives for him. Now here in our country, that's not something that we worry about a whole lot at this point. We're not under threat of execution. But there are places around the world where to simply possess a Bible or to convert to Christianity can mean a literal death. Cast out of your family, public execution. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Is that that's what it means. But he also says, the benefits of following me are saving your life. And so his call to us today is to maybe answer that question. To have Jesus ask us, who do you say I am? So who do we say Jesus is? And when we say that, what do we mean by it? Do we think of Jesus as simply a genie who answers our questions? Do we think of someone that we can turn to just when things get a little bit bad, but we don't think about the rest of the time? Do we think of Jesus as somebody simply we talk about for an hour on Sunday morning, maybe an hour during the week at our Bible study, but the rest of the time we ignore him? Or do we say, no, he's the king, and I'm willing to give up everything for his sake? So I invite us, church, to reflect this week and ask ourselves, who do we say Jesus is? And when we give that answer, what do we mean by it? Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to give up everything for the sake of following him? Because that's what he invites us to do.